What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Locked on Golden Knights, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. It is technically Wednesday, March 18th now, but this is your Tuesday, March 17th podcast. My apologies for being as late as I was. Uh, I don't know how to balance my schedule very well. And as some of you could possibly tell by the way that these uploads are stagnated sometimes, it can be a little bit of a dull process trying to figure out when to upload when and how to upload how and it can get a little bit tedious but alas we are back for another episode of Lockman Golden Knights and to that I say welcome everybody how are you doing hope you had a good Tuesday hope you're in the mood for a good Wednesday my name is Danny Webster and I am your host and I do appreciate you stopping by for today's episode now Seeing as how we're kind of a little bit off track today, it's going to be a two-parter, technically speaking. Two episodes, both up today. Today, this episode, what you're going to get is part two of our five-part series where we relive year one of the Vegas Golden Knights. Part three will be up later tonight, and I'm probably thinking... I'm probably thinking around the same time frame, so you're probably looking at maybe an 11 o'clock upload that you can have ready for Thursday, and then Thursday night will be part four, and then part five, of course, will be on Friday. Right now, that's the plan, Um, and we'll go from there. Sound good? Sound good. All right, before we get into part two today, uh, usual housekeeping items out of the way first before we go any further, especially to those of you who have never listened to this podcast before, I do welcome you to this venture that is a daily podcast about the Vegas Golden Knights here on the Locked On Podcast Network, which you can find on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you consume your podcasting. You can follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnVGK. You can follow me on Twitter at DannyWebster21. Or if you like sending emails, LockedOnGoldenKnights at gmail.com is certainly the place to do that. So this part, just in case, by the way, if you did miss part one, Feel free to go back to it. Part one was just basically giving you a lowdown of the expansion draft and my thoughts sitting in the nosebleeds at T-Mobile Arena and watching the players get selected that would eventually go on, or at least most of them would go on to be Vegas Golden Knights players. Today, we begin part two, and part two is essentially a look at the preseason as well as the days that followed. Of course, that means looking at October 1, looking at the days that followed October 1 in general, and basically what the Golden Knights did as an organization to basically build this community up in a way that I don't think was ever um, was ever anticipated before. So that is the plan today. So let's, let's dive right into it, because The preseason, the very first preseason in Golden Knights history was a very weird one. I remember distinctly there were four games on the road to start, and then the final three were at home. And the Golden Knights actually won three of their first four. The only loss was in San Jose, a 5-2 loss to the Sharks. But that first game against the Canucks, where the Golden Knights put up nine goals. Now, I'm not saying that this was the... Uh, the precursor to what was to come for the Golden Knights. But when you can go out there and play your first ever NHL game for anybody, and I'm talking about preseason, whatever, uh, 
you go out there and you put up nine goals. I don't care who the goalie is. I don't care who the opposition is. You go out and put nine goals up. That's impressive. And of course, the nine goals was highlighted, if you remember, by Tyler Wong, who had a hat trick. And Tyler Wong really wasn't known as someone who's like, oh, okay, he's just a filler on the roster. Goes out and has a hat trick, and all of a sudden, maybe he can contribute to a bottom six. Maybe he could be like a middle six kind of guy. And then we never heard from Tyler Wong ever again because he did not score another point in his preseason tenure. But he did have the three goals and the assists. Brad Hunt had three assists in that game. Tomas Nosek had three points in that game. Cody Glass had two assists. Tomas Hika, remember Tomas Hika? Two goals in that game. Nick Suzuki even had a goal and an assist. And I believe Paul Thompson had a goal in that game as well. That was a very interesting lineup. And the winning goalie for that game, of course, was Dylan Ferguson, who, by the way, has a save on Connor McDavid, so as you know. But Dylan Ferguson, the winningest goaltender in preseason Golden Knights history, I'm not even about to go into the stats. All I know is that he's won, I believe he's won every start that he's gotten as a Golden Knights goalie in the preseason. So that tells you that the future is in good hands with Dylan Ferguson when he goes on to win three Veznas. I'm just saying. Uh, but the Golden Knights, again, Went 2-1 over the next three. They beat the Avalanche 4-1. Then they lose to the Sharks 5-2. But then they wrap it up with a 4-2 win against the Ducks. And this was really the start of when we're watching Brad Hunt become this very solid offensive defenseman. His defensive game was not going to be touted by any stretch of the imagination. But he was getting points at an absurd rate. He had two assists in the game against the Ducks. Uh, Belmar, Bischoff, Higa scored. Timu Pokkanen also scored, by the way. Lest we forget Timu Pokkanen. I know I mentioned his name yesterday in part one, but lest we forget Timu Pokkanen. But Brad Hunt was was having himself a very good preseason. And that's why there were a lot of people that were looking at this saying, if they need really a sixth defenseman, Brad Hunt might be a guy that they may consider because they're going to need as much offensive firepower as they possibly can if they're going to want to score as many goals as they can. And quite honestly, Brad Hunt was a guy who had been hopping around from team to team and he really wasn't getting a fair shot in the NHL. And of course, he was an AHL stalwart and he started the year in AHL Chicago. But when given the opportunity, Brad Hunt always delivered for the Golden Knights. And yeah, maybe the results didn't end up in the final games of the preseason. I mean, they lost 3-2 to two to the Kings in overtime. The one thing I remember most about that game was Nate Schmidt's turnover at the end and Cody Eakin's goal to tie the game. Cody Eakin tied the goal in the third period, tied the game in the third period, and then Nate Schmidt, I think it was like 15 seconds in, uh, he was going circling around the net, and it was actually Marc-Andre Fleury's very first game in a Golden Knights uniform. Nate Schmidt takes the puck, circles it around, <laughs> loses it, and then the Kings just hop right on it and just pot, pots it right in front of Flurry, and the game was over. That's the only thing I remember from that game. I, I don't remember much about this preseason, but I remember Tyler Wong doing what he did, and I remember Cody Eakin tying the game against the Kings, and Nate Schmidt just immaculate blunder <laughs> against the against Los Angeles and to that point where I was like yeah I don't think he's gonna last very long if he's doing things like this safe to say Nate has definitely made up for that blunder Uh, but then they lost to the Avalanche 4-2 and then they lose the final game of the preseason 5-3 to the Sharks 
Now, obviously, the only here's the thing. The only thing I remember overall from the Sharks game itself, the only thing that I remember was I wrote a story, I think, after that game where I was like, Shea Theodore has locked himself a roster spot, um, bar none. Like, I thought that after that preseason, I thought Shea Theodore earned himself a spot on the main roster come day one. And that didn't happen, obviously. He ended up in AHL Chicago along with Alex Tuck. Um, That's really the only thing I remember from that game, which is crazy. um, Because, obviously, the hours and the minutes leading up afterward are what or what took precedence. Um, like I said, I, I got home from the arena. At like I like, I think I left the arena at like eight thirty nine o'clock that night. And, um, I got home and I went straight to bed. I really didn't, uh, stay up as late as I thought I would. And I think it was partly because I was about to start my overnight job, um, at the, at the tech company that I was working with at the time. So I was like, okay, I might as well get under this sleep schedule as soon as possible. And then, of course, I wake up at 2.30 in the morning and find out what the hell happened. And I just, I mean, my heart sank. And, you know, my heart still sinks every time I think about it. It's just, it's just ridiculous, you know. And, you know, to go from playing a game like that to covering a game like that, go home, and then all of a sudden just your entire your entire thought process just changes within the within an instant. It's just crazy. Just absolutely crazy. And I remember after after everything that happened, I woke up at like five o'clock and I watched the news and my wife had to go to my wife had to go to work to clock in and then basically clock back out. So she had to drive all the way. Like at the time we were living um on Durango in 215 area and she had to drive all the way downtown where she works and then she had to drive all the way back and I was just so nervous because I was like okay is she gonna be like are they gonna stop her or like what's gonna happen you know and I and I was worried about that but I just just the hours that followed after that were just some of the more shell shocking hours that I've ever experienced. Like we were all in Las Vegas and myself included, we were getting ready to cover a hockey team playing their first NHL game five days later. You know what I mean? We were ready to cover this team through an 82 game season. And we all thought, you know, it's not going to be pretty. They're probably going to be the worst team in the league. They're not even going to make it out of probably last place in the Pacific division you know, we, you come to expect that, but just how can you do that? How can you do that with everything that happened? You know what I mean? And I'm not going to say that what happened that night is the reason why the Golden Knights had the season that they had, because it's simply not true. Do I think that they were determined to play for this city in every facet and every time they stepped on the ice? Absolutely. And you could tell by the way that the crowd reacted every time, um, every time they got on the ice, that team was loved, especially in the early goings by this, by this city. And it showed, 
it showed when the Golden Knights were in, went to a blood drive and they were donating blood and they were meeting some of the people that were donating blood. I didn't go to that, but I did go to the event at Metro a couple days. I think it was maybe the day later. I think it was a day later. And they were uh, at Metro. And I got to speak to some of the, the Metro officers who were there that night, who had to basically wield every or you know yield every everybody away to safety you know you know laying down on victims and making sure that they weren't you know in the in the line of fire and all that and you talk to them and then you see them interacting with these hockey players that you know 2 months ago they weren't even part of this franchise they weren't even a part of what was happening you know, they, they a lot of them didn't even know what Las Vegas was outside of the Strip. I mean, yeah, they got the recommendations from Bill Foley, I'm sure, but no one really knew in that organization from everyone on down, from, you know, staff to communications to the players themselves, no one knew unless they were actually from here. Not a lot of people were from here. And now all of a sudden you have to kind of switch gears and become not only this hockey team in this in this city, you are basically called upon to be the beacon of hope and to kind of be the uh, to kind of be the, the distraction for what you will from everything that happened. And so, I remember being in the locker room the day before they left for Dallas. On October, for their first game on October 6th. And, you know, just, you kind of talk to the players for the first time. And it was really the first time I had a chance to actually speak to the players since then. I remember, I remember Derek England was one of the first people I talked to. And part of it was me just trying to ask them questions about Dallas, ask them questions about the game, ask them, you know, what's going to be the key of slowing down Ben and Sagan? What's the key... You know, to try and beat Ben Bishop, you know, the things, the hockey questions that you should be asking, so to speak. But I'd always throw in the occasional question, you know, what would it mean to win this game for this city? It's not even a home game, and we haven't even gotten to October 10th yet. But what would it mean to win this game against this really good hockey team? For this city. And you know. They, some of them gave their basic answers. You know. It would mean a lot. You know. The city's been through a lot. Blah blah blah. I'll never forget. After I put my recorder down. I, I was talking to Nate Schmidt. And we had just had like a seven minute conversation actually. Just. just uh, It was more so for a podcast situation. But it was. Basically asking about arbitration. About getting a fresh start. Vegas. And after I put the recorder and I talked to him for another another minute or so and I was asking him, you know, if he's kind of gotten settled here and, you know, if he's gotten a chance to get out into the community and he... I'll never forget, he told me that he went to the store about, the, about a day or two prior and he was, you know, was doing his grocery shopping and there was a 13-year-old who was with her mother. 
And the mother kind of pointed out and like, hey, that's Nate Schmidt. Um, she pointed out and um, the daughter went over to Nate and was like, oh my gosh, I, 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 you're one of my f- dad's favorite players. And it turns out that her dad was one of the people shot that night. Um, fortunately, to what Nate told me a few days later, that he made it and he survived. Um, but he told me that at that moment he realized that this city is more than just the strip. It's more than just the lights. It's more than just the casino. It's about the people. And then when you talk to other Golden Knights players over the course of, you know, the days leading up to their first game, that's really all it was about. It was about the people. It wasn't about the city. And it wasn't about the logo that they put on their sweater. It was about the people. And after I talked to Nate about that, I kind of phrased it to everyone else when I was asking them questions about the game. And they all pretty much said the same thing. It's about the people. So fast forward now to October 6th in Dallas. I was not at the game. It was, of course, being against my childhood team and facing the team that I cover now. Of course, I wouldn't be there because, you know, I had to work. Go figure. But I watched the game on my computer and watched it unfold and watched Marc-Andre Fleury put on an amazing performance, 45 saves, just unreal. It just looked like it looked like vintage Fleury. And if there was anybody who wanted to win that game for that team, for that city, it was him. 45 saves, unbelievable um, you know, he gave up the power play goal to Sagan, I think, in the second period. And other than that, nothing really there. Flurry just gobbled up the stars all night. And then James Neal scores the two goals. First, the tying one. And then the one where he's fallen to his knee and he gets it off and beats uh, at what, which eventually would be uh, Kari Lettinen, who replaced Bishop because he uh, left the game with an injury. But James Neal the guy who we talked about yesterday being like, oh, he's going to be your guy to score all the goals. And at that point, two goals in one game. And he had the game winner. And I just remembered this weird sense of just, you know, I scroll through Twitter a lot. You know, I, I, I go through Twitter a lot and I'm just... I read things sometimes and I just watching the euphoric outpour of people from this city essentially all rallying behind this team. Even members of the media who have lived here for a long time, who have lived here almost all their lives, how thrilled they were that a team representing their city ended up pulling off what they did. It was the most incredible thing I could have ever imagined seeing. To watch that team go into Dallas in a road environment when five days earlier 
was the most difficult thing that this city has ever gone through. And to watch that team win that game was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Then you go the next night to Arizona. Second night of a back-to-back. Flurry's playing the game again. I'm actually at UNLV. I'm actually at Sam Boyd Stadium on this night because I'm covering UNLV San Diego State football for the Associated Press. So I did not see this game because I was working on something else, right? So I did not get a chance to see this. All I know is that Arizona was up one nothing for the majority of this game, and then with like a minute to minute change to go. Nate Schmidt ties it. I think they had the man. I think they had an extra attacker on there because they pulled Flurry. But Schmidt scores the tying goal, and of, of course, who scores the game winner? James Neal. So all of a sudden, two row games down, two victories, and they're two and zero. And of course, you're not thinking at the time. Oh, maybe they can make the playoffs. Of course not. You got 80 games to go, but. Two wins on the road, and now you're coming back home in what could only be described as the most ominous environment I have ever been a part of. You know, I I am very fortunate to have been a part of, in my mind, some really great moments, you know, covering sports. Um... Without question, the first moment that comes to my mind, the best thing that I've ever covered before covering the Golden Knights was in Reno, UNLV beat Reno for the first time in 10 years in football and won back the Fremont Cannon. It was the same year that UNLV went on to go to a bowl game for the first time since 2000. The other time that I recall more than anything was going to San Jose and covering the NCAA tournament. And who would have thought that that would be the last time UNLV would be in the NCAA tournament since then, which was what, 2013, 2014. But to be in T-Mobile Arena that night on October 10th, I've never seen anything like it. And I and you can only imagine when you see when you see teams honoring tragedies like you when you think of 9/11 the first thing you think of is George W Bush throwing out the first pitch, you know, in New York. Right? I mean, you think of the Boston Marathon bombings and you think of David Ortiz taking the microphone at Fenway Park and saying this is our fucking city. You know, you think of things like that. What I saw on October 10th that night was the most ridiculous thing. Ridiculous isn't good because I saw about 18,000 plus just in unison come together for one night and just provide such a source of energy. And such a source of euphoria that the moment Tomas Nosek scored that first goal, I legit thought the roof was going to come off the place. And then when Derek Englund scored that second goal to put him up two, 
it was almost, it, it was too good to be storybook. It was too good to be storybook. And you figured the emotional charge in the moments that led up to it. You know, when the first responders were honored on the ice, when they had the 58 seconds of silence, when they had the victims' names on the ice. To this day, I, I'm not ashamed to say I cried during those 58 seconds of silence. I, I, I would like to think that I wasn't the only media member that was crying in press row that night, but I was crying because of that. And then Vegas goes on to score five goals. I think they added two more in the first period. James Neal was one of them. And they, actually, I think James Neal might have scored two that night, now that I think about it. And they go on to beat Arizona 5-2. to two. And, you know, it's hard to think. It, it's really hard to fathom that when you watch something unfold the way that it does that it could be something special you think in your mind maybe the cards are in the right place maybe the stars are aligned for something to be special when I left the arena that night to go to work and all my co-workers and my friends now they were asking me What was it like tonight? I couldn't describe it. And I think to this day, I still can't. That night, it didn't feel like I was at a hockey game. That night, it felt like there were just so many people that came together that night just to get away. Because when the puck dropped, it didn't feel like a hockey game. Like, yeah, the NBC cameras were there. They televised it. It was the very first home game in team history. But it did not feel like a home game at all. Didn't even come close to feeling like a hockey game. It felt like everybody just got together and said, Hey, how are you doing? Are you okay? Let's have some fun tonight. We don't know what's really going to happen here, but we're going to have some fun. And to me, that's where I was just blown away for everything that happened. It was the most incredible scene that I have ever been a part of. It was the most incredible game that I've ever covered. The most, the greatest there i don't think there 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 will never be anything that tops that even if the golden knights win the stanley cup and i'm there to see it i don't think anything will ever top that nothing will nothing will ever top october 10th 2017 because that game just it felt like the building kept getting louder and louder and louder to where i really thought 
if there was a way for a roof to come off the place, I thought that night was going to test those boundaries. And it was just the most incredible thing. The most incredible environment that I've ever been, that I've ever seen. And who would have thought over the course of the next 79 games, it would turn into, it would turn into something magical, man. It would turn into the most magical thing you could ever think of. And that is where I will end part two of five of reliving year one. Tomorrow, today, basically, when we do our part three, this will be a look back at some of the more memorable moments of the regular season. Some of the moments that shaped and defined what would end up being the greatest regular season by a team in its inaugural season in really sports history. We'll look back at some of the games that kind of shaped the way that the season went. And we'll look back at the moments that kind of shocked everybody, including Dylan Ferguson's save on Connor McDavid. That will come later today. But that is the conclusion of part two. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Again, a little bit shorter than the expansion draft. I got to learn how to kind of <laughs> kind of balance that out. But I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you've enjoyed this uh, look down memory lane so far and hope you are looking forward to part three coming up later today. So thank you guys for listening, downloading, sharing, subscribing, all of that jazz. What were your favorite moments in the preseason and the games leading in the, in the first three games? What, what were, what were the moments that stick out to you? Let me know. Tweet at lockdown VGK or tweet at me, Danny Webster 21. Let me know. Cause that whole period, it it's almost like a blur now, but it was magical, right? And I'm pretty sure you guys have some memories or some stories that kind of stick out to it. So if you have those, please let me know. Would love to hear from you. Um, also, before we get out of here, if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a rating and a review. Helps people find the podcast, lets me know how I'm doing on the show, and... Uh, Let's other people want to find this podcast if they're Golden Knights fans and they want to listen to me ramble on for 30 minutes a day. So if you are an Apple podcast, please do that. That'd be greatly appreciated. So that'll do it for me, guys. Thank you very much. I will see you later today for part three of Reliving Year One. Until then, I am Danny Webster. This has been Locked On Golden Knights, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I will see you technically later today. Have a good one.